Jonathan Nato, and I'm in New England. Hey, everybody. My name is Ahmad Zaidi, and I just was in New England, but I'm back home now in Redondo Beach, California. And this is Limping on Cloud Nine. How you doing, Jonathan? Good. Weather's finally warm over here on the East Coast, so that's uh, a welcome, uh, a welcome thing. Well, it certainly wasn't recently. I was just in Philadelphia, New York, and New Jersey, and it was pretty chilly. Yeah, so, I mean that's yeah. <laughs> we, in, in New England, you know, people say if you don't like the weather, just wait. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It'll, just it'll, wait a minute. It'll change. <laughs> hey, before we jump into today's topic, I wanted to tell you I had an incident at the Statue of Liberty that I'll never forget. But I wanted that to be our next podcast, so I will. Uh, Jump into that next time. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, but, you know, lessons are always to be learned, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and I learned mine. <laughs> <laughs> but today's podcast, we're calling this episode The Handy Five. Mm. And why, why I call it that is I believe everybody out there, including you and me, each have at least five incidents in their life that shape who they are. Yeah. You know, all of us do. And I believe you and I have talked about this briefly in a much earlier podcast. I think when we did the podcast about learning how to ride a bike and tying a shoe. Yeah. I might have touched on it, but I thought that it was a topic that we really needed to dive into. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it, it happens to everybody. So I'm going to make you tell everybody your five as I jump into my five. Okay, that works. (laughs) Right? So let me just dive in. People out there are probably thinking, oh, his first one is becoming disabled. Well, guess what? You're wrong. It's not even on my top six. There you go. (laughs) And the reason is my accident happened when I was six or seven months old. So growing up with my disability was how I learned everything. Right. I didn't know anything before it. So while if you gave the top five to my parents about me, that would be number one on their list, it doesn't even crack my top list because it's something I've lived with and it wasn't really an incident that I've learned anything from because it's how I learned to be from the get-go. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You know? So my first one is a tie between learning how to tie a shoe and learning how to ride a bike. Mm. And I say that because, as we said in a much earlier podcast on that topic, both of them helped me get into motion, right? Yeah. I was a kid, and I got to be totally honest with everybody. I was just going to say I was a kid who tucked my laces into the side of my shoe. Yeah, yeah. Right, until my kindergarten teacher, actually she wasn't my school teacher, she was my uh, teacher at the Crippled Children's Center in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every chance I get to say that, <laughs> I do, because I think it's it's really awkward that they actually named a, a physical disability center, the Crippled Children's Center. But then again, it was in the 1970s. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. All I can PC, think... I'll- all I can think of when you say the title of that school is, um, oh, I can't remember it now. Did, did you ever watch the movie The Garbage Pail Kids? Yes, of course. They, they had that school. I, oh, man, what was it called? It was like, 
the school for like the ugly and something or, or yeah, you know, right. you know what I'm talking about? Like <laughs> <laughs> the school for the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I think of every time you're like, you say the title of that one. Cause that, it's so crazy to think that, you know, there's something titled that, you know, these days, you know? Yeah, of course. But of course, these days are 40 some odd years later. Right, right, right. Right. So that is four plus decades. <laughs> but learning how to tie a shoe when I was a kid gave me a sense of freedom because it's something I thought I would never be able to do. Mm. And it's the first thing that and learning how to ride a bike were the first two things that really made me think, you know what? I can do anything. Mm, yeah. And I know how crazy that might sound to people out there, but when you can only use one side of your body uh, perfectly and the, and the other side of your body has deficiencies where you can use it but not nearly as well as the, the good side of your body, Yeah, learning how to do simple, simple things like tie a shoe become monumental events. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, so that's one. Learning how to ride a bike was even bigger than tying a shoe because now I was actually physically in motion. Right. Right? And, you know, (laughs) it's so true. I like making fun of this stuff because it is who I am. I like making fun of myself. Yeah. But I know I've mentioned to you in the past, when I was young riding my bike, I used to have a bike that I called the Tiger Bike. Yeah. Right? Because it was a blue and red bike with a tiger face on the seat. Yeah. And as I rode down the sidewalks as a kid on my bicycle, people would part the sea like they parted from Moses. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> and I would think they feared the tiger bike. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm so cool. They fear my bike. They're parting for me. What I didn't realize back then that I do now that is really funny to me, man, is that they weren't afraid of my bike. They were afraid of me running into them. Yeah, they're just like, they what, they're, they're like, look out for this loose cannon. Like, <laughs> look, look out for this kid that's controlling the bike with the right side of his body and who's wobbling down the sidewalk and, and could run over us at any time, <laughs> right? But, but those moments really shaped my confidence at a very, very, very early age. Mm, yeah. And when I was talking about tying my shoe just a couple minutes ago, I was about to say something, and now I remembered, so I want to insert it. Yeah. Right? My favorite pair of Nikes right now that I, that I actually have on my feet. Yeah. Their laces are too short. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. Because they're not too short for the average person. They're too short for me because yeah. I need all I can you need, get. You need, like, some slack and stuff to, you know. To tie it. Yeah. Right? So... Literally, this is really bad of me, but, you know, I like being honest with everybody. Right before I went to the East Coast for this wedding of my cousin just a week ago. Yeah. I was tying my shoes and I had my Nikes on and I thought to myself, wait a minute. You know, I'm going to have to take my shoes off. Right. Through security. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, because I have a... um, a TSA, I'm TSA cleared, so okay. sometimes they, they don't have me do it. Okay. So anyway, but you never know. Sometimes they say I'll take it off anyway, or if you're if anything goes off on your body, they make you take them off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking to myself last week as I was getting ready, I thought, you know what? Keep them untied. 
Because if you tie them and TSA makes you take them off, then you're going to have to, like, waste time on the other side of security. Yeah, like t- you're retying them or whatever. And- retying them. Yeah. And then my daughters will be like, I do it faster than you, which is true. <laughs> they do. They do it faster. They do it faster than me. But I didn't want to deal with that. So I just left them untied. Okay. And, dude, all week long I left them untied. <laughs> They're untied right now. <laughs> and, and if my physical therapist from the Crippled Children's Center in Kansas City in 1973-74 is still alive and listening to this podcast, she's probably shaking her head like, you know what? What did that kid do? Yeah. He learned how to tie a shoe, and now as he's in his <laughs> middle age, he stops tying it again. So I've got to get back into it, but I'll, I'll start it again. <laughs> so... The first one was tying my shoe slash riding my bike. Yeah, yeah. Now you go. What? What's your just? It doesn't have to be chronologically. Yeah. Just tell me. Well, one. I mean, obviously, that for me, my, my, it's my car accident for me because you know I was fourteen when it happened. So my chain, my life changed pretty drastically in, in in a matter of minutes. So now, for people who are just starting to listen to this podcast and realize that we no longer open it with "I'm a blind guy, I'm a disabled guy." <laughs> yeah. Share with people what you what you're talking about. Just yeah, briefly. so I I could see totally fine up until the age of fourteen. I I guess I'd probably had twenty twenty vision, whatever perfect vision is. I didn't wear glasses or anything, and uh, just one day got in a car. You know, I I met this guy. I was gonna get my first guitar lesson with my cousin and his friend. Went for a car ride. Got in a car, a really bad car accident. There was no other cars involved. It was just this freak accident. And uh, I got ejected out of the back windshield, and and due to all the head trauma and everything, I lost my sight. Which is, like, if when I heard that for the first time, I thought that was deeply, deeply, deeply sad. But now knowing you for a couple of years, Mm. I realized that's what launched you into who you are. Totally. Absolutely. And, And you're not bitter about it at all. No, no. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't want to open a can of worms. I, 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 well, you might as well yeah. now. Well, you, I mean, you, well you, now. you can cut this out if uh, it, it, this could be, be another episode or whatever. But I, I started playing baseball with my middle son and uh, like bought him a baseball glove and stuff the other day. And I haven't played too many sports with any of my kids, and but I started playing, trying to play baseball with them. Man, I got so bummed out. Like that was the first time. Honestly, it's probably I mean the I, the only time I can really remember where I was just like. Man, being blind sucks. Like, because I, I I was trying to teach him how to do stuff, and I'm like, you know, trying to throw the ball to him, and I'm like, I'm not I'm not helping him in any way. I'm like throwing the ball way over his head, way to the left, way to the right, and I'm trying to teach him how to catch and stuff. I'm like, this sucks. Like, I was no, so active it, playing sports. It, it only sucks right now. But as you're saying that, can I tell you what to do? Mm. Once your son learns how to catch, yeah. If he's got a leather glove, which I'm sure. You got oh, him yeah, a leather yeah, glove. Yeah. Right? When you throw it and he catches it, you'll hear the snap of the baseball in the glove. Yeah. And I know you have exceptional hearing. Yeah. So you'll quickly learn exactly where to throw the ball to get that exact sound. Yeah, once I got him to catch it a couple of times, I, I sort of honed in. But it's just like, you know, it could take 10, 15, 20 throws to kind of figure out where he's at. And just like, man, you know, this isn't really helping him. Like... 
know, he's, he's trying to learn how to catch it. I'm like, let's add another level of complexity to this. No, <laughs> actually, I think it's helping him a lot. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's going to be the kid that jumps over bushes head first and gets the ball. <laughs> right. Well, right? That's, that's, what I, but that, you know, that's what I try you to share... explain to him. You know, it's like, look, I'm not going to throw it right at you. You got you got You might have to take a few steps this way, that way. You might have to jump. You know, to catch you know what ball. you got to do, Jonathan, if you do that? Give it some air. Throw it high so he has time to get under it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, you just reminded me of something, that story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I played softball with Shahina in an adult co-ed softball league years mm. ago. Mm. Right? And you'll never guess what position I played. In a billion years, you won't guess. First base. Yeah. Yeah, first. Did ah. I tell you this before? No, no. I played first base, and the reason I played first base is the one thing I can do is catch a baseball. Yeah, because you get you can put the glove on your good hand, so all you need to do is get keep your foot on the bag and catch it. That that's it. Yeah. And I catch really, 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 really well. Meaning I I make very few errors because I can do few things well in sports, but catching a baseball is one of those things. Yeah, definitely. But do you know how I learned how to catch a baseball? No. Two ways. Number one, as a kid, I would throw the ball with my good hand, and as it's in the air, put the glove on my good hand and catch it. Mm. Right? Over and over and over and over and over again. Because I needed to get just as fast with the same arm and hand as other boys had with two. Yeah. Right? So when I was young, that's how I learned. When I got older, my friend did this to me, and man, to this day... I can't thank him enough because here's what he did. You know what he did? Mm. He goes, dude, when you get lazy, you drop, you drop balls, right? And I'm like, well, when anybody gets lazy, they drop balls. So you know what he did? I had a 1982 Camaro Berlinetta, mm. right? My, my, my car that I loved, right? Yeah. And what he did is he, we are in the parking lot at my high school and he took a baseball, and he's, he's like, stand in front of your car. <laughs> I'm like, don't you dare. But before I could get the word dare out, he threw the ball. Yeah, that'll get you to catch it. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, uh, it, it, it hit my car once. And yeah. luckily, it just hit, like, the whale tail on the back of my car. Yeah. And, and probably dented it a little bit. But it hit my car once. So he's like, when you have things to lose... You'll defend. Yeah, yeah. When you think your car is going to get dented, you'll catch it. Yeah. And that's where I learned how to catch. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so there's always ways to do it, dude. Yeah. There's always, always ways. The second thing that really shaped who I am, and this is kind of funny, but it's totally true, is starting to date. Mm, you know? Mm. And because... And Growing up, I was always a confident kid, and, and I was, I've always loved who I am, minus the years in my teenage years when I was angry and hated the world for making me disabled, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But minus those two or three years, I, uh, I really liked who I am, but I always had this thing in the back of my mind that what if girls don't like me, mm. right? Mm. What if they don't want to date me? Because wanting to dance with Margaret Law and Michelle Huff in fourth and fifth grade, I got turned down both times, 
right? Yeah, yeah. And and the girl I had a crush on in kindergarten didn't like me. Now, luckily, all these people I'm talking about, all of them are still my Facebook friends today. Nice. So, you know, we kept our friendships, but I never dated any of them. So growing up, I always thought, am I just going to be the guy that girls like as a friend, but don't like as a man? Yeah. Right? Or am I ever going to, like, you know, lose my virginity? Am I ever going to go to prom, which I didn't, because the, the young girl I asked to prom, dude, she said no. And not only did she say no, she denied my Facebook friendship for almost 10 years. Wow, that's terrible. The funny thing is, she finally became my Facebook friend, like, two years ago. Yeah. So I had all these signs of, like, no one's ever going to want you. Obviously, I remember being in 10th grade when um, this really, really cute girl told me she liked me. And when she told me, I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, me? And, and she was my, uh, you know, she was my, probably not my first girlfriend per se, but the first girl that I was intimate with. And I don't mean losing my virginity. I just mean even kissing. Like yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And and uh, her name was Tiffany, Tiffany Kaiser, back in 1984. Hmm. And I thought things were going great with her until her, I picked her up one day yeah. for, a de- for a date, or I wanted to pick her up for a date, and her father answered the door with a shotgun. Oh, that's, uh, that's not good. <laughs> he was not pointing it at me, but yeah. he had it, and he goes, so you're the guy. Get off of my porch. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're not seeing Tiffany anymore. And two days later, she broke up with me. There you go. That's how that is. That's how that is. <laughs> but before she broke up with me, the fact that we dated for three or four weeks, which to me back then at 16, to have a girl like you 30 days in a row is kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, my God. Somebody likes me. If she likes me, there's got to be somebody else that will. Yeah. And that changed my whole perspective on on dating. Hmm. Just instantaneously, just like that. Yeah. Right? And then I dated a lot, and I got dumped a lot, and I dated a lot, and I got dumped a lot. (laughs) And, and, you know, 19 years later, 18 years later, I met my wife. There you go. So that worked out. How about you? What's number two? I guess second would be... My father passing away, like almost, almost exactly a year after I got in my car, so almost to the day. But the reason why that kind of affected me, I mean, I guess there's multiple reasons, but the major thing is we weren't necessarily getting along. Like before I got in my car accident, my father and mother, I don't think they technically got divorced, but they sort of separated. He moved out. He had kind of a drinking problem. He wasn't like abusive or anything, but... He just had, you know, a drinking problem. And uh, so I, I was just kind of mad with that whole scenario. And I, I wasn't really talking to him even before I got my car accident. And then when I got my car accident, he, my mom told me later on after he had passed away that, you know, he was always at the hospital. He always visited, but he never said anything. He didn't want me to know I was there because he thought I was mad at him. And so, you know, he ended up passing away. Before I could, you know, we could like, I, don't know, I guess, work things out or 
you know, for me to apologize for being a stupid, stubborn, you know, obnoxious teenager. And so by him passing away with kind of like that, that rift between us, like I realized like, man, you don't know when your time is up like this. I mean, what, what use or what good is holding a grudge or being mad at someone for like it, nothing good comes of it. So I've always tried to, to not hold anything against anyone for any kind of period of time. Cause you just never know you don't want to end on a bad note, you know, like it's just no good to, to end things that way. No, no, thank you so much for, for sharing that. You know, I don't have anything as deep as that. That's amazing. But I will tell you this. I tell my parents I love them after every phone call hmm. because you never, ever know. Yeah, I actually didn't tell I, – I never told my parents really ever that I loved them. I, I specifically remember telling my mother, and it's probably – maybe the first and only time I really ever said it to her out loud. It was the day before she passed away. I told her I loved her. Really? Yeah. Yeah. My family is kind of weird. <laughs> what a weird dynamic. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's just different, right? Yeah. My family was really, and still is very, very huggy, touchy, feely. Yeah. Kiss on the cheek. No, love fan, you. Yeah, How my, are your kids? Yeah, my family all wasn't the time. Like, yeah. My family wasn't like that at all. I, I don't even remember my parents ever even really saying I love, it doesn't mean they didn't, but I don't remember them saying it. They, they didn't do it enough, I guess, to where it really stands out to me. I mean, they must have, but I don't recall them ever telling me I love you like out loud either. You know, I don't know. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Um, for me, number three is a fun one. It's, when I finally got the job to get on college radio. Mm. And it was fun for me for several reasons, mainly because I failed to get on my high school radio station all six times that I applied. Because you could apply every semester for three years of high school. Yeah. My high school was 10 through 12, not 9 through 12. Okay. So, you know, six no's, and then I get to college and... I become a disc jockey at Ryder College Radio, WRRC. Nice. You know, and I was the news director there for a year. I had two or three radio shows a week. It's a blast. That's cool. But why that was cool for me is because it just proved that, you know, when you don't give up on something, if you just never give up, something will come through. Yeah, definitely. And when I was thinking that, here's what's funny. As an adult, you think of your sophomore year of high school being so far removed from your junior year or sophomore year of college. Mm. But really, it's only four years. Right. <laughs> right? It just feels like a lifetime because so much it, happens, it, you know. It feels like a lifetime because looking back, I'm like, well, I was, at, I was on Ryder College Radio in 89, I think, 1989. And... I was a sophomore in a sophomore through senior between 84 and 86. Mm. But really the last time I got denied to be on high high school radio to the time I got on college radio was only three years, Mm. but it seemed like a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's very interesting because I think things like that just reinstill the belief in your mind that, you know what, you can do things. You may not get them right away. And they may not turn out to be what you thought they were to begin with, which is usually always the case. But but if you never give up, things happen. Yeah, definitely. 
that that was my number three. How about you? Hmm. I would have to say probably when my first my first uh, child was born. I remember just that night I held him all throughout the night. I didn't sleep. I just stayed awake and I was holding him all throughout the night. And I was just like, "Yep, it's no longer about me anymore." <laughs> like now, now I got this little one to to watch after and take care of. Then that. that that I I would say after every you know every kid I had I have five now but it's like e- each kid you have you're just like it's it's less and less about me you know like it's it's more about this one and that one and this one now and it's it's less about me. Yeah, no, totally, totally. That's a really good one. That's actually my last one, but um, my, that's a really good one. My fourth is a tie between going to the Nebworth Festival and getting into UCLA Film School. Mm. I know we're only supposed to have five, but I've had two <laughs> ties in it. And Nebworth, we did another podcast on it. That podcast is yeah. called How a Dying Man Taught Me to Live at a Killer Concert. Yeah. I think it's the fifth or sixth one we've done. So yeah. those of you who are interested in it, it's toward the beginning of this podcast, right? Because I think this might be 111 or 112 or I something like so, that. I believe so, yeah. Around there. So when I went to the Nebworth Festival in England on June 30, 1990, uh, the Nebworth Festival had Pink Floyd, Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton, the Genesis reunion, the Led Zeppelin reunion. Well, not a Led Zeppelin reunion, but a Jimmy Page, Robert Plant thing. Yeah. Eric Clapton, just incredible, incredible show. And... I'm cutting a lot out because people can listen to the, the original podcast, but basically 400 people won the trip across the country and six people bought it. And I was one of the six that bought it. So since I bought it, I had a room with a stranger. And this is the point of the story. You know this because we've yeah. talked about it many times. When I went to the hotel room in London, I was 22 years old, and this 45-year-old man comes up to me, and he goes, what's your name? And I said, Hamad. And he goes, hey, Hamad, my name is Gary. I'm dying of AIDS. You know, and I'm like, what? (laughs) And he's like, I'm dying of AIDS. And back then, this is a year before Magic Johnson uh, came out with the fact that he had AIDS. Yeah. So AIDS was really new. Yeah. Very, very, very new. So there's a lot of fear around it. So he was saying, if you want a room with somebody else, you can trade. And I said, no, dude, I'm cool. And what Gary taught me is he said, find the things that you love. And when you get back to America, do them. Mm. And then as we were flying back to America, we landed in New York because I lived in New Jersey at that time. I was going to Ryder. So we, we landed in New York. And he goes, he shook my hand and he goes, hey, kid. You're never going to see me again because I lived in Jersey and he lived out in California. Okay. And and I go, what do you mean? We'll keep in touch. He goes, no, no, no. I'm dying. You'll never see me again. And at the airport at JFK, and, and I was like speechless. I didn't know what to say because I was 22. Yeah. And this guy is telling me he's about to be dead. Yeah. And then I'll never see him again. Right? Yeah. So then he goes, listen, just promise me one thing. Find the things you've always wanted to do. And do them, right? Yeah. And then I told him I wanted to go to a Super Bowl for my birthday. I wanted to go to UCLA Film School. 
and I want to live in Los Angeles. So then he's like, you know what? Drop everything and do it. And we landed on Ju- on July 3rd is when we came back from the trip. Yeah. On August 20th of that same year, I was a California resident. Mm, man. <laughs> I mean, I literally dropped everything and went to California. Yeah. And pursued my dreams because of Gary. Man. Right? Yeah. So that that was clearly a moment. And then tied with that is getting into UCLA film school mm. because it's something I've wanted since kindergarten, literally since kindergarten. Mm. So I won't go into the long story of how I got in, but because we've already done that podcast too. Yeah. But when I found out I got into UCLA film school, man, I literally bawled all the way home. Yeah. And I was so happy. All I could think about is everything's going to be okay. Mm. I've wanted this since I was five years old. I just got it. Everything in my life, the ups and downs will come, but everything will be okay because I'm about to be a Bruin. Yeah. And... That was certainly a moment that that changed my life. Definitely. You know? Yeah. So what's your number four? I guess uh, getting in, going back to university, I was 30 and I went back to school and I was actually telling someone this the other day that that not not just going to school was a a good experience, a good experience, but it was more having to navigate a place I had never seen before. Because mm. up until that, I've seen most places where I, I, I was living or where I was visiting or whatever. So I already had a mental image. But going to school, I'd never been there. I had no idea what buildings look like, anything. And so not only did I have to figure out, you know, the inside of a particular building to navigate, I had to navigate across campus to various buildings to get to different classes. And sure. so I, by you know, by... By the end, my senior year, um, I mean, I could get to any building anywhere on campus. I mean, being able to do do that really gave me some serious like mobility, like confidence of just like, man, I can I can get anywhere and do anything I need to do. Like up until that point, it's like, sure, I can get anywhere I want because I, I I could see it. I mean, it's a w- big deal, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess I have a good memory, but I mean, you know, that's only going to get me so far, but. You know, going to going to school and and knowing I can uh, navigate, you know, through that from building to building was a a pretty good confidence uh, booster. Yeah, especially since you know, it's hard enough to be on a new college campus and not know any buildings and try to get to class on time. I can't imagine doing it without my sight. That's unbelievable. Yeah, there's there's quite a few times throughout the times I I, I was there where I'd be just hanging outside, you know, waiting for me because I, I would get uh, rides from various like buses or other kind of transportation companies or, or or even just be walking from building to building. And I don't know how many it's it's happened more than I can count on both of my hands. But, you know, kids would come up to be like, sir, sir. And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> they'd be like, I just want to tell you. I see you walk around this whole place, and it's amazing. I have no idea how you do it, but you always get exactly where you want to go, and it's just so cool to be able to see you, you know, walk across campus and get to all your classes and stuff, you know, with no help. And I was like, oh, you know, thanks. And, you know, we'd, you know, go our ways. But 
it was just, uh, you know, pretty cool for people to come up to me and say, you know, something like that, like some encouraging words. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't say, don't call me, sir. <laughs> I know. I'm not that damn old. I know. When, when it, like, within the first few weeks of classes, we were, ta- you know, I'd be talking to the kids, and, like, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, they're, like, born in 92, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I was, like, 12 or 14 years older than all of them, you know? I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> I have underwear born in 1992. <laughs> exactly. Right? No, these are really important, because I think everybody out there, has five that really shape who they are. So I think it's a good exercise to list them for yeah. everybody listening. Yeah. You know? So my fifth is yet another tie, and it's meeting my wife slash having our children. Mm. Right? And meeting my wife is interesting because we met, we physically met at the Cannes Film Festival. No. We physically met at the Sundance Film Festival. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And... I was on the phone with my buddy, Kelly, and I was at Sundance with my buddy, Steve. And as Shahina came off the, uh, I was in the wrong terminal at the airport, so I couldn't find her. But when I finally found her, when she came down the escalator, I was talking to Kelly on the phone and I was describing her, right? Yeah. And as I was describing her, he's like, that's your wife, dude. And I'm like, no, are you kidding? She's, this is just a fun weekend at Sundance. I probably will never see her again, right? Yeah. And he's like, that's your wife. So then later that night, um, we went to the Kodak party with my buddy Steve, who was at Sundance with me, right? And we were in line to get into the Kodak party at Sundance, and Steve turns to me. Shahina goes to the bathroom or something, and Steve goes, you're going to marry her. <laughs> like, no, I'm not, dude. But my friend saw it. That's funny. And she became the one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I'll never forget jumping over to uh, the birth of Lena and Zoe. Yeah. I got to cut their umbilical cords, mm. which is really cool. But they let the father, you know, get yeah. involved in that way. And... The first thing I said to them as they were born is happy birthday. <laughs> first words out of my mouth as they were born was happy birthday. Because, you know, they're, they're twins. Yeah. And when I got to cut the umbilical cord, I just looked at them and I'm just thinking to myself, wow, you're like one minute old. And I'm responsible for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, for a long, long time forward. Yeah. It was the scariest and most wonderful experience at the same time. It was unbelievable. Mm, mm. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really crazy, isn't it? It is. I, my wife had a, uh, a, a planned C-section because our first was a uh, breach. And, and I remember when the doctors were, like, operating on her, I was, <laughs> one of the doctors was like, just talking to the and one of the other guys next to me was like, yeah, I was in Sears the other day and blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, seriously? Like, focus, concentrate here, man. <laughs> no, man, I'm married to a doctor. That's exactly, that's totally normal. Just that's like... completely normal. You know, I, I know doctors that, um, like, talk about their tea time. Man. You talk about when they're going to, like, yeah. tee off on the golf course right, in right. surgery. Right, right. 
But you know, there's some doctors that um, that listen to rock music, listen to classical music. There's various different ways to do it. My thing is, do whatever you want. Just be really good at what you do. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. You know, yeah. don't leave a utensil in my body as you're sewing me back up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't make any mistakes, but have fun doing it, I guess. You know, and what's what's your fifth? Uh, I, I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to say along with yours, like meeting my wife, it was, you know, kind of a, I use the term mutual friend loosely, but I ended up meeting my wife through kind of a mutual friend and, uh, you know, at that, at that, at this, at that point when I met her, it was the... About mm, probably six months or so after my mother had passed away. So things were just crazy, hectic, insane in my life. And she uh, she brought some uh, some comfort and uh, steadiness to everything that was going on in my life. So it was a good, good timing to meet her. <laughs> no, that's good, though, man. That's really good. But see, one thing I wanted to reiterate, and I don't know if you agree or not, but I, I actually believe that your five incidents that shape you, they don't have to be all positive. Right. In fact, none of them have to be positive. Yeah. It's probably good if at least three of them are, so you're at least above water. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? But, I mean, your, your accident certainly was not positive. Yeah. Like at least I mean, not, at the, you, not at the moment. Not the moment. You turned it into a big positive, but not the moment. Right? Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm glad you shared this. So if you people are out there wondering what your five are, you know, I, I guess I wound up having nine, right? Because three of them were tied. So yeah. I had eight, I guess. Right? Yeah. But if you have a list of things that shaped who you are, Write them down. And if you don't like who you... This is interesting. If you make a list out there on five things that you believe shape who you are, be as honest as you can with yourself as you're writing the list out. When you're done, if you don't like who you've become because those are your five, mm. try to look for five positive ones. Mm, yeah. Because maybe you can change who you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always... A positive and negative. You know, my joke is I have friends, and I won't say who because they won't be my friends anymore. <laughs> but I have friends out there that my joke with them is, dude, if you want a billion dollars in the lottery, you'd say, Hamad, I want a billion, but dude, I'm paying two hundred million in tax. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't focus on the eight hundred million that you're keeping. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So if you make your five and you don't like your five, I think it's time to make another five. Exactly. Because making five positive ones are far more difficult than just, it's easy to write out tragedy, right? Yeah. So if you see yourself getting into this mode where you're just focusing on the bad things that happen, pull yourself out by opening up one of your hands and counting off five things in your life that were positive. And maybe that will help you get to a better place. Yeah. No, definitely. So that is our story for today. All right. So if you want to check out Limping on Cloud9, visit limpingoncloud9.com. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, all those fun places. 
And don't forget to check out LonelySealFilmFestival.com. We're accepting all types of uh, indie films and also a we have a screenwriting contest. You can check all that out at LonelySealFilmFestival.com. Yep, and uh, everybody, if you want to email us, info at limpingoncloud9.com, info at limpingoncloud9.com. And everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. We'll talk to you next episode. See ya.